I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. Hey, Dennis. Yo, Jesse. I have no reason for this to actually happen, but could you start us off with a little uh, trumpet fanfare? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I love that so much, and I'm going to make it my ringtone whenever you call. Right now, I love doing I love doing that. So right anytime now, you want it, fine. whenever you text me, I hear the beer can opening and then the ah, and then now that's a podcast. So that's great. Ah. But the fanfare, I think, is going to replace that quickly because it is awesome. Well, thank you. I'm glad you like. And I just have one question for you today. For me? Yeah. Oh, go, Jesse. Why should I go to mass? In general, <laughs> or online? <laughs> online. You know, it, it is kind of hard to find the motivation to over and over again. Log oh, in, no. go to YouTube, find a mass, find one that's good, decide whether you know or not what you I just should... found is the Blackfriars of Oxford, England. There's the Dominicans in Oxford. They do a lovely daily mass, sung, Ooh. noble simplicity chapel and it's every day blackfriars oxford plus what they're the, out of time zone so it's what's their uh, progressive solemnity like uh, today <laughs> they had four candles for saint catherine yeah a question i never mm. thought i'd ever ask anybody in the entire mm-hmm. world uh but anyway we have what i understand about spiritual communion but i can do that outside of watching a mass on tv right so why that do i true. Do- and in fact you're are recommended to make a spiritual communion anytime in the Ecclesia de Eucharistia, John Paul said, you don't have to go to Mass. It's not like the prayer you say instead of the Eucharist. It's the thing you do all the time to ask the Lord to be united with you, to come to you, to fill you with his life and grace. So all the time, all day long. So I should just do that. Why do I need to go to Mass on TV? Well, Mass is a different thing altogether. Now, the part of the reason we're talking about this is because our Christopher Carstens here is also the editor magnificus of Adoramus Bulletin, mm-hmm. which if you are not a subscriber, Chris, how would people become a subscriber to Adoramus Bulletin? Easy enough. Go to adoramus.org and you can uh, find a link there to subscribe. You can subscribe to the print edition. You can subscribe to the electronic edition. You can sign up for the uh, monthly e-newsletter, which is uh, other wisdom and insights and videos and podcasts. And boy, is it good stuff these days. Lots of LI graduates writing, good sacramental understanding of things. Mm -hmm. And it looks good too. It does. Nice. Yeah. I was the consultant to the redesign, by the way, Jesse. (laughs) Is that live yet, Chris? Uh, This next one that has Dennis's article, it isn't. But yeah, what I asked Dennis is, we've heard Dennis talk about this before, and he expresses it really well, is, you know, what what is the point of, you know, when we're sequestered at home and you can't go to mass is there i mean what's the point of watching it and you know or even you hear others say you know if i can't go to communion what's the point of even having mass you know so right. what you know it's so like going to ash wednesday and not getting ashes what's the point of that what's right? the point so what i asked dennis is you know even if you can't be there present physically at mass why is there still great 
work and and uh, service and efficacy happening, even though you can't be there. So I wanted him to kind of get behind the get behind the scenes to what is really going on at Mass and why it's still rocking our world today, even though you can't and be there in the church building. Gave me, um, he said, I need this by noon tomorrow. So I had to pull something out of my brain really fast. (laughs) Where you keep all of your articles that you write. Here we go. Yeah. So here's, here's how I thought about all this. And I think it is the major insight, major rediscovery of the liturgical movement and therefore Vatican II in the 20th century, which is, you know, still the important idea of our time, even though we're in a new century, which is that Eucharist is an act, an action of Christ broadly conceived it means thanksgiving and of course in greek and people talk about that a lot but what is the act of thanksgiving that we can best make to god we offer join in the offering of christ to the father through the love of the holy spirit and so we can say thank you god that's nice you know and give him a kumquat or something he doesn't need what, what good's a kumquat hey thanks so much god here's a thank you note no <laughs> god we thank you for rescuing us and so we're going to participate in the thanking of christ which is the offering of christ to the father which is the offering of us to participate in the life death and resurrection of christ and to rise with him and so that the liturgy christ uh chris always says is the christ is the prime minister the principal minister so whether we're in the pews or not the priestly action of offering is going on uh, as a member of the body. I participate in it, and uh, I can do that by looking at a screen, and I can also do that by being in a pew. See, but the one thing that you neglected to say in that beautiful description was about receiving the truth. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Right. So what's the difference? Yeah. And I don't mean by that, that, you know, you're downplaying the reception of Holy communion, but I think in all of this, when, uh, when we're away here, people talk about, I have this real hunger for communion and it's great. And that, that should, you know, um, this kind of fast should lead us to hunger for communion. But in my, uh, you know, reading of various things, it's almost like, you know, for the Catholics who care, it's about about 95% of the conversation is, I can't wait to receive communion again, which is a great thing. Don't get me wrong. And almost nobody says what you just said. I can't wait to give myself over as a victim to share in the resurrected Christ. <laughs> I haven't heard That's that That's what once. we should be saying every Sunday, in, whether <laughs> in Mass or in the building or not, you know. Um, and But that's the central thing right now. It can sound a little scandalous, you know, this phrase that people say, the Eucharist is an act, not a thing, right? Because mm-hmm. we think... The, resurre- the uh, consecrated bread, which is the real presence, body, blood, soul, divinity, is somehow so important that the mass becomes this kind of recipe for making it, as opposed to the whole thing in the, in the broader sense of what a sacrifice is and sacrificial language. Um, you know, in the ancient world, when they gave a sacrifice to bull or a ram or something, they didn't just say, oh, well, here's the necessary uh, prayers to eat the flesh of the bull at the end. It was the offering of the victim, and then the completion of the offering was communion with the sacrificed flesh of the animal, right? So think of it more like, I'm going to give over, you know, my dog to God. <laughs> Boy, then we would really sense giving something away or your kid or your wife or whatever. And it's not just, oh, you know, eat the flesh at the end and then we're done. Um, so to think of the whole liturgical experience as the action of Christ and the receiving of communion as the completion of that act and the full communion um, which is real and good and important thing to do and 
highly encouraged by the church, uh, but it's more than just receiving. Uh, you know, I used to wonder sort of just uh, theoretically, but of course now it's not theoretical anymore. You know, what is more, I don't know, what is better, what is more fruitful, what's more efficacious? Uh, would it be to go to mass and not receive communion or to receive communion outside of mass? And it really, it's its not, a, as you described, Dennis, it's both of these things that go together. You know, this is why, you know, a priest who can celebrate mass has to receive from the Eucharist at the altar and never from the tabernacle because the the consuming of the sacrificial victim is attached to the offering of the sacrificial victim. And I suppose by extension, this is why the church desires that the faithful receive themselves also receive from the altar and not the tabernacle. So this is kind of a spurious sort of distinction until COVID-19 came along. But, you know, which is uh, which is better you know, to go to mass, not receive communion or to receive communion outside of mass. Uh, and, you know, I don't even think I want to answer, but I think what what we are saying is um, too few people would, would actually say the offering of the sacrifice part. Right. And the sacrifice of Christ, because it's an action of Christ and his mystical body, which Pius XII said, Pius X said, <laughs> Vatican II, Sacrosanct Concilium says, is always an offering of us, the entire world. So, you know, you like to do 35,000 foot uh, beginnings um, things, Chris. And so I did a bit of a 50,000 foot beginning in this article. And it started with about the work of God and the continuing act of creation. What does that have to do with any of this stuff? But I think people think six days of creation, boom, you know, then God sat on his great throne on the Sabbath and Adam and Eve blew it. And we're just kind of waiting around to get back to Adam and Eve's condition. And then we can, um, you know, be happy with God. But actually the way, um, you know, the larger tradition sees it is that there's a continuing act of creation and that Christ is, con you know, God, the father is working through the church to continue to glorify the world, to continue to give it to the father, to continue to surrender the fallen world for glorification. And so work in that sense is always a share in God's work of glorification. In other words, God is extending his action in the world in time through people, uh, through the church, and bringing it more and more to the divinized quality that he wants it to be. The primary place that this happens, yeah, so you mow your lawn, right. You're bringing it back to the Garden of Eden in some way. <laughs> but you give the entire world to Christ. You join the world to Christ. You join your heart to Christ. And then when he gives it to the Father, you can say, oh, yes, I have consented to that transformative grace being done in me. And so the catechism says in uh, 1069 that the uh, liturgy continues the work of Christ's redemption in, with, and through his church. Now, I've heard this through him, with him, and in him, the unity of the Holy Spirit. You hear that a million times. Through, in, with, and through. So, you know, I actually stopped. It's like, it takes three prepositions for the catechism to explain Christ's work. It's not despite the church. Well, you know, they can't have mass, so suddenly it all, you know, nothing is happening anymore. Or even when they have mass, it's just their own saving themselves. It's Christ is doing the work in Christ, but humans do it with Christ and through Christ. And then the entire church, that is the people of the church, are the sacrament of Christ who is bringing the world back to the Father. Um, Pius XII was good at you know making sure we didn't get all high on our horses because he says... Uh, in Mr. G. Corpore, says encyclical that Christ is so exalted, he alone by every right rules and governs the church. He baptizes, he teaches, he looses, he binds, he offers and sacrifices. So you see that, 
Christ is doing all that stuff in and through the church. And so when mass is happening, when priest is offering mass, that sanctification of the world is happening in and through the church together with his people. You know, Dennis, so, I've, go ahead, Chris. I, I've, re- I've read your article probably more than you have at this point, you know, with all, through all the process of getting it mm-hmm. uh, ready for publication. I bet you have. But I haven't, <laughs> I haven't made this connection till just now when you're talking about that, that I think what would make our spiritual communions better is not necessarily uh, the, the fervency, is, if that's a word, uh, that we pray the spiritual communion, the fervor, thank you, yeah. uh, that we have praying the spiritual communion prayer, but it's the complement of the spiritual offering that takes place uh, at your parish's altar, that the joining with in with through Christ is the first necessary condition of the sacrifice before you get to the spiritual communion part. And that I think is the one thing that could make these virtual masses uh, today more uh, helpful for people. Is the and joining. the masses in person when they come back. Because yeah, true. That's the thing. If you don't offer yourself as a victim, that means die to your fallen self and rise to your glorified self. I don't know if receiving communion is not just, you know, I use the phrase spiritual vitamin pill so many times, but, you know, if you just say, oh, I want a drug that makes me healthy, I don't want to, you know, give myself over to the work of exercise and eating healthily, whatever, the, the drug's not going to make you healthy, right? So receiving the, the seal, the confirmation, the making firm and real in you, the grace of all the things that the Eucharist is, I'm, I'm not at all trying to downplay mm-hmm. actual reception of the Eucharist, right? Because obviously it's the supreme um, sacrament, right, in the life of the church. And by sacrament, there's a tangible quality to it. Um, but nonetheless, if you're not prepared to receive it, then it's not going to produce the fruits in you. So I think we do have a, an op- opportunity here to say, all right, while I'm deprived of the sacramentality of the Eucharist tangibly, how can I work on the other side of this, which is offer myself to the Father so that uh, through Christ, with Christ and in Christ, so that when that fruit of the Eucharist does land in me, I'm a fertile soil for all of this um, delightful garden of God's presence. You, you know, but the only time I have heard this this first um, part mentioned about uh, the offering is uh, when people talk sometimes about uh, the, the distribution and reception of divorce and remarried Catholics, um, which used to be a hot topic before other hotter topics uh, uh, came along. Because again, there was the, a mindset that if you if you went to mass but you couldn't receive communion, well, what was the point? You know, as if uh, you know you couldn't if you were divorced or remarried, or let's say you're five years old and you haven't made your first holy communion, or you're not in a state of grace for whatever other reason. Yeah, uh, why would I, you even bring your kids to mass yeah, if you know? Exactly, because you know, as Dennis saying, we have a real opportunity, I think, to focus in on. You know, in your in your article, Dennis, you, you cited uh, Sacrosanctum Concilium, which finds its way into the uh, into the general instruction about the active participation of the people, learning to offer through the hands of the priest the unblemished sacrificial victim, and to join themselves with that sacrifice, so that the church may be all in all, or something like that. I mean, boy, talk about the you know a pinnacle, or if it if it's not the pinnacle, maybe it is communion, but but if it's not, it is right up there, and I think. Um, this could be that that time to really focus in on the heart of the Eucharistic prayer and of the mass and the rest. Right. Calling the Eucharist a sacrifice. Okay. We sort of toss that around because that's, that gives us, you know, 
blue star catholic right we don't, mm-hmm. we don't it's not just a meal it's a sacrificial <laughs> meal sacrifice what's the sacrifice christ to the father and us together with christ to the father through the action of the holy spirit through the hands of the priest who's sacramentalizing that sacrifice then communion is the um the fulfillment completion of that sacrifice the impressing of that and making it real the you know the soul is filled with grace all of those things which i suppose god can do uh, anytime he wants but mm-hmm. it's at this fullest par excellence um in the actual sacramental reception partly because everybody's together right it's a sign of unity everybody's acting as christ receiving uh the body and blood of, of the lord and uh so it's a fuller expression but this is a question for you, Chris, because I was a little afraid I might have to ask to answer this question. <laughs> what then, how would you put words on the difference between sacramental reception of communion in church and spiritual communion at home? Because there mm-hmm. is a difference, right? But mm-hmm. what's the difference? Yeah. Again, as I was reading your article, Dennis, it was, you know, you're just trying to, it, it, that's, that's it exactly. How is it the same and or how is it similar and how is it different? And you know, constantly trying to qualify the words such that you're not equating them. I mean, if there's no difference, then what's the point of going to actually receive? But if there is a difference, then what is it? Um, yeah. So what is it? I think, um, you know, you're the same person as a recipient and the reality is the same who is Christ, but the that sacramental point of contact is different that's the difference in um in the sacramental reception is you're actually receiving this the, the the body blood soul and divinity under the forms of bread and wine in the spiritual communion you're coming to a union and intimacy with the body blood soul and divinity the person of christ without the aid of that tangible encounter and you've got to do it entirely spiritually and for incarnate beings that's, that's very difficult that's why well, we have a sacramental just, system you wouldn't just call it an ex opere operantis problem then right it's just not just well receiving it sacramentally just disposes us better because we're experiencing more sensate value of it right because there, there's got to be an objective difference yeah. and i'm not prepared to put the words on it but maybe you are aren't, yeah, they, aren't they the same mm-hmm. thing but they're but each piece is optimal for each piece to have you know what i mean it's it's optimal to have both but by themselves they're not totally you know invalid Mm. yeah i don't know maybe part part of coming to the answer to this question is finding the right lexicon and i don't know if ex opere operato is the is the right one i don't know what what one of the things that comes to my mind dennis is um you know the the best way here, let me ask you a question. What is the best way to actively participate in the Paschal mystery of Christ? What's the answer? Nailed to a cross. Yes. Yeah, it is. Martyrdom is the number one way to do it. Okay. The second best way, or, or you might say martyrdom and by extension, uh, living a, a holy life. The second best way, and it's not unrelated, would be receiving the Eucharist. And I was reading in a, in a Bouye piece once how, you know, to make this point between um, a divinized life and the reception of the Eucharist is uh, he recalls some of the, the accounts of the early martyrs and how they are described in Eucharistic terms. So like uh, 
I always get Irenaeus and Ignatius confused. The one who oh, is yeah. ground beneath right. the teeth of the lions, right? He's describing his martyrdom in Eucharistic terms. And apparently, I mentioned may have mentioned this before, is that uh, there had been um, a thinking that at the point of one's martyrdom, they used to think this apparently in some places in the early church, at the point of one's martyrdom, that martyr could uh, offer the Eucharistic sacrifice. So imagine there's Joan of Arc about to be burned at the stake. She could confect the Eucharist. Now, the church has not said that that's the case, but it, it gives you an insight to the thinking that there's this, this close association between conformity to Christ in martyrdom and conformity to Christ in the Eucharist. Okay, so now let's apply that to this question. You know, the goal of sacramental communion and the goal of spiritual communion is the same, this kind of intimacy, union, divinization, transformation, identity with Christ, they can both be real. <laughs> Maximilian Kolbe's being put to death is as real a conformity and encounter with Christ as his reception of the Holy Communion. Um, so they're different, you know, so now let's, now let's put yourself in your living room watching, you know, mass on the live stream. Can that be as real as receiving the Eucharist sacramentally? Well, God wants it to be, I suppose. <laughs> well, yeah, if, uh, if you're properly disposed and intelligently, consciously, fully, actively participating, um, I mean, God can pour out his grace to you however he wants to. Uh, what, what do they say about the necessity of infant baptism? You know, uh, we're bound by the sacraments, but, but, but God isn't. He can do whatever right. he wants with his divine life. So, And that explains you know, spiritual communion for sure. Right? Yes, yes. So, you know, and, and I don't know, I, I don't know enough about history to speak too intelligently about this, but you, you read some things and they say, <laughs> we've kind of been spoiled for the last, I don't know, 50, 100 years. You want to go to daily mass? Great. You want to go to mass twice? We have a, we have a, a, a can analysis. You can't receive communion twice in a day. I mean, for most people in most of the history of the church, there was no, this was so far out of bounds. They couldn't you know, receive you, communion you twice in a month. Or twice in a year sometimes. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so were they, I don't know, would you say that, I mean, you don't want to deny the the efficacious power and saving power of the Eucharist by saying, man, it didn't matter for them. Receive twice in a year, twice in a day. It all comes to the same thing. On the other hand, you have to acknowledge, I think that, you know, God is working his work of creation, like you say, Dennis, mm -hmm. in a variety of ways in souls that are docile and receptive to that grace. I don't you know. It was interesting to me. I looked up uh, Ecclesia de Eucharistia, John Paul II. Of course, he loves the Eucharist, loved the Eucharist deeply. When it goes through the lists of the things that the Eucharist is, there isn't a heading that says the spiritual vitamin pill in which, you know, all this grace is suddenly dumped into you when you receive it sacramentally. It was sort of the sign of unity, you know, the image of the Christ. It's like this listing of things. Um, and so, you know, when you're alone – yeah, Christ can infuse grace into you, I suppose, if he wants. But the celebration of the Eucharist as an action of Christ that is sacramentalized by people with their head, either the bishop or the priest, and then the, the tangibly eating so that it's really fully a sacramental reality, uh, outward sign of the invisible grace, and not just a solitary, invisible grace. Sure, God can, God can make do in uh, difficult circumstances, but I think the fuller union of body, soul, 
community, hierarchy, and all the things that liturgy uh, requires, I would have to say is a fuller experience, body and soul, sensate and interior. It doesn't undo the necessity to offer yourself as a victim, but I think it, it's by definition just a fuller and more complete experience and probably therefore more efficacious. Yeah. I think certainly for human beings who are uh, body and soul, that would have to be the case. Now, imagine we were three angels talking about this type of thing. <laughs> we didn't have bodies. Then, you know, you wouldn't need that, would you? That sacramental medium to come to encounter Christ and the Trinity. But I think insofar as we are embodied creatures, the fuller experience, as you say, Dennis, ha you know, has to be inclusive of those sacramental signs and symbols. It's the, it's the, it's the, uh, it's the favor that God is doing to us, you know, to come to us through this dirty, mundane, material means. Right. And it also, if you think that, you know, there's a famous line, the church makes the Eucharist and the Eucharist makes the church. I don't know if people understand what that means though, but when people are all out in their house, in their homes alone, divided, scattered, you could say, you know, diabolic means scattered, scatterer, diabolos. And then they're brought to unity and they're all doing the same thing. They're arranging themselves. You know, the Catechism and Vatican II both say Eucharist has a hierarchical and communal character. Arranging themselves hierarchically as a group, right? As a body, living as that body and speaking to the Father as Christ and through Christ. Um, that's not something to easily be pushed aside. And I think that's one of the great deficits of um, mm. being watching Mass online is... It's not that you don't get your little infusion of grace that God wants you to have, but that you're not actually forming the habits of mind, body, and community to arrange themselves, assemble as Christ and, uh, and live as Christ. And so it's not an individualistic, I get my vitamin pill. It's a corporate worship of the mystical body. But whether you're there or not, Christ is still offering you. And mm -hmm. so there's something efficacious continuing in the work of creation. But boy, wouldn't it be better to to do it more fully? I really like what you said about God being able to distribute graces the way that he wants. That's very comforting <laughs> to me. Because God is God. Yeah, well, also because I know he's merciful too. And so, you know, we really just, we need to do our best in all of this. But we also need to understand that there's there are those graces through mercy as well. And mm -hmm. understanding our heart's intent. And that as long as we're not just taking, you know, these uh, um, permissions from the bishops to not have to go to our Sunday obligation, as long as, long as we're not just taking that as like, all right, this is a vacation from our faith, but we're doing that as like, okay, well, what can I do instead of that? Or what, what's the right. most I can do? And that is what's important. And the challenge in both cases, whether you're home alone, whether you're with your family at home, whether you're in a parish, is to say, my salvation is not just God giving me an IV of, you know, spiritual vitamin D or whatever, right? This is the building up of the body, assembling the scattered for the divisions between Adam and Eve, right? From the beginning, divisions against in families and towns and nations, political parties. How can the many be brought back together? And so the Eucharist is the receiving the sacramental of the Eucharist is this deep infusion of grace. Sure. Um, but it's to make those habits that have just been developed sort of permanent, strengthened, and undoing the fall. I mean, at the end of the day, what God wants is to continue the creation of the world, to restore it, uh, not only to the unfallen condition of Adam and Eve, but beyond that to heavenly perfection. And so that's not a one man or one woman 
show, right? That's a communal activity. And that that's the challenge of watching Mass alone on a, on a screen. So that's probably a good grace to ask for at this time. How can I love my neighbor, even when my neighbor is not next to me, bugging me at Mass? <laughs> Maybe it's harder for families who have kids running around the living room playing with their toys. Uh, how can I love my neighbor, even in when they don't have the usual uh, discipline of a church building? How can I well be said. like the mystical body of Christ and then my membership in it? It's pretty easy with a family. Everyone gets in line. <laughs> yeah. There's no cry room, though, so that's weird. Uh, all right, Dennis, that's awesome. We'll we'll link your article in the show notes here. And uh, should we answer a liturgy question? Oh, Let's yeah. All right. So why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition. Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? Okay, this week we have a question from Thomas. Thomas says, hello, liturgy guys. Hello, Hello, Thomas. Thomas. Hello, Newman. Don't be unbelieving, but believing, Thomas. (laughs) Uh, Thomas says, is the right surrounding the sacrament of confession a liturgy? I'm thinking about if I make a confession in an impromptu manner to a priest at a conference or retreat where he just puts his stole on, hears it, and then we're off again, does a liturgy take place? God bless Thomas. Yes, it does. All sacraments okay, are. If you want to ask us a question, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, called the right, is... isn't it? Right, it's the right of reconciliation. Yeah. Well, now they call it the order. All of the ah, okay. rights called order. But anyway, yeah. Uh, Dr. Fagerberg would always ask, you know, are sacraments liturgical or are liturgies sacramental? Uh, and they are. I mean, the or maybe he used to say this to me, this is a better way to put it, is uh, just as God's word exists for us today as text in the form of scripture, Christ's paschal mystery exists for us today in terms of a rite or ritual. It's clothed in a rite. So everything sacramental that happens is clothed in or takes the form of a rite or ritual or liturgy. So everything sacramental is liturgical. So Uh, And and there's abbreviated rites all the way around. You can have an emergency baptism that could take a minute or a confession that could take a minute, Uh, any uh, uh, anointing of the sick. You know, all of that, there's the essential right that uh, under certain circumstances, you can dispense with introductory rites and liturgy of the word, concluding rites, ancillary rites, explanatory rites and things like that. But again, part of the reason why, I mean, you could go to Sunday Mass and everybody could show up and the priest could say the words over the elements, give communion, everybody could be out of there in 10 minutes. The reason the church doesn't do that is because there's a certain disposition one needs to have going in and coming out. But also all those other things are meant to glorify God as well. So 
the essential elements of the sacrament are kind of packaged in broader uh, rites or liturgical elements so that they can be more glorious and adoring for God and more fruitful for us. But anyway, that's a long-winded way of saying that, yes, it is a liturgy that you participate in, even if it's just a brief you know, confession and absolution. And that'd be primarily because Christ is acting in that moment, right? That this is the work of Christ being mediated in that sacramental experience. Yeah, yeah and mediated, especially in the, the church. Remember, that we try to do that podcast, what makes a devotion different from a liturgy, which is very difficult. But it's, yeah, Christ is working through That's because we were doing body. it inside of a vehicle. Inside of uh, uh, he, we were in the vehicle. we were in the Volkswagen van. Oh man! Oh boy! Oh, that's right. Wow! It seems but like it a is long the time vehicle, ago. vehicle for Christ's mercy, nonetheless. Yeah, confession. that's what the so, church. Uh, yeah, that's what the yeah. church is. That's what the sacraments are. And I so, do remember, yeah. you know, I got a book at Mundelein on like the free book shelf, and it was some little optimistic book from 1974. It was called The Rite of Reconciliation or something, and it was about 50 pages of all the different things you could do: the greetings, the Bible readings, and they really, it wasn't public, you know, like a, a communal, it was a one-on-one um, mm-hmm. thing. And I thought, wow, does the right really envision all those things? And I remember my spiritual director once told me, I went to confession with them and he said, you know what, there's actually a permission to, to lay hands on the person while the um, well, right's being done at the end. And I was like, wow. And I felt like, wow, this priest knows me, loves me. He wants to take it up to 11, so to speak, in terms of my experience of the reconciliation. And so there's a lot of possibilities there, even if the minimum requirement is what most people experience, I think. You know, I, I haven't heard about the laying on of the hands part, but I do know that like scripture is supposed to be a part of the the ordinary form of the, the, the celebration. I don't know how often you guys hear scriptural passage ever read when you go to confession, but Dennis, Never. you're right. There's, there's a lot of other only as my prescribed penance, Chris. <laughs> there you An go. entire chapter of Job, usually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we probably could ask Father Randy Stice, another LI uh, graduate. Mm-hmm. He did a whole uh, old book on this as well. So, mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, well, uh, we have uh, answered that question, hopefully. And if you want to send us a question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys or tweet Dennis at... DMAX Super Taster. Taste more or, than you do. Or we have a first round submission for ways to contact Chris. <laughs> yes. From, from Ben Koch. He says, I would suggest advertising a clown mask. I think he'd feel compelled to show up and intervene, at which point he's already there, so he might as well talk to you. So uh, that is a great way to reach out to Chris. Nice. We still, not, not because I'm a clown. Right. Oh, to intervene. Yeah, right. Got it. <laughs> so we're still accepting submissions for the competition of how to contact Chris. So please send those into questions at liturgyguys.com. Thank you and God bless. Now that's a podcast. The Liturgy Guys is brought to you by the Liturgical Institute at the University of St. Mary of the Lake at Aramus. Society for the Renewal of the Sacred Liturgy, and the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College.